Welcome to Talent Takeover Unfiltered. When it comes to working hard and keeping it real, we know our shit. Self-care, happiness, inner peace, and time. I'm Brianna Rooney, and this is Taylor Bradley. Hey, y'all. And we have thrived in chaos and turned it into an art form. So, Taylor, what are we doing here today? We're here to give you a raw, under-the-hood view of all things recruiting and finally give credit where credit is due to a long, underrated industry that's full of, quote-unquote, experts. All right. Well, then let's take this show to the road. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another fun-packed, action-filled episode. I'm just going for it today. Uh, This is with Thomas Squayo on how to develop highly motivated teams in a financially constrained environment, uh, which is like everywhere right now. So this one's going to be massive. (laughs) Hey, Taylor. Hey, Thomas. How you doing? Very good. Uh, Thanks for the invite to uh, join you, ladies. So I listened to a couple of podcasts in advance of this, so kind of got a seal for the flow and uh i love what you guys are doing so uh, i think it's uh it's pretty impressive the kind of community that you built nice thank, thank you so much yeah. how are you doing taylor oh i'm i'm doing great it's actually like nice outside today i was able to get outside move my body a little bit so yeah i'm feel i'm coming like you did i came in hot with the energy of like <laughs> like let's fucking go you know <laughs> i just got i just got off a really good call with an entrepreneur, which you guys don't know, it's someone that uh, we're helping open up their own agency, you know, via the millionaire recruiter, but like there, she's getting traction and you know, it's just so exciting. And, and, and Thomas, to go to your, your topic, it's like, it's hard out there right now. So if people are making traction in any which way, uh, it's just exciting. Like, ooh, gives me the chili willies. Yeah. All right. Let's tell them what we're talking about today though. Thomas, yeah. you can get him with it. Yeah. So, uh, so I've actually, um, in the last probably seven years, have gone through kind of a, a pretty significant private equity journey, which is really kind of building an organization to be sustainable throughout a, I'd say, a financially constrained environment. So you're basically looking to acquire businesses, transform them, uh, and then ultimately package them for sale. And then that life cycle, which you end up dealing with, is uh, a reality that you are not in a high growth environment, you're typically in a constrained environment or, you know, kind of the year of efficiency that we've been hearing about across the industry uh, is really kind of the operating norm for most private equity firms when you're uh, in one of those managed businesses. And uh, in doing and in being part of those businesses, uh, you also need to make sure that people are motivated to stay uh, as well as also be willing and excited to join the organization. Uh, I was thinking we could talk about some of the ways you invest in culture to be able to do that. I am a technologist by trade. I'm an executive by, uh, by career. You're a CTO, right? Yeah, I've been a CTO, chief product officer, chief information officer, um, the head of strategy and uh, head of business development. I've done a lot of different things in my career. Wow, yeah. And but most most commonly, I am uh, brought in to either be the chief digital officer or the chief technology officer. It's heavy roles. Love yeah. that. Um, I mean, that's my sweet spot, of course, with uh, the sexy tech going on there. But um, what was interesting is like, so how do you keep everyone motivated? I think that that's like turnover we talk about a lot. I think we're going to continue to talk about it for the next couple of years, I would imagine. Um, and then attrition and, you know, it's like the norms on was it 15 to 20 percent. 
people are used to people leaving and filling those roles, which means we're always busy. So how I feel like I just jammed you with two questions, but, but let's talk about motivating people first. Um, so hopefully you're not constantly filling these seats because then that's also depressing as well. Well, yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, if it sucks to work in a place, then you're going to see involuntary turnover. People are just going to want to leave. Um, to your first question, I think that, uh, I've kind of uh, subscribed to that notion of uh, the Daniel Pink philosophy of give folks and teams autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And if you do that, they have the autonomy to make decisions locally. You push decision-making down to the lowest level possible. Uh, teams, when they know that they are able to affect what they're working on, how they're actually going after things, they get excited. Uh, they buy in. Um, a lot of the the, the lot of reasons why people stay in an organization that's not high growth environment is because the relationships they have with the other team members. If they know that they have the autonomy to uh, make decisions about the work, you give them the professional development and the ability to upskill in their role, then they're excited about working with the, you know, do tools and techniques and so on and so forth. And then, you know, if you look at things like purpose, I mean, uh, it depends on the environment. So in one of the businesses that I worked with, it was in public safety and justice. So the the, the purpose was very clear. People were always kind of looking at it. From, they, they're in it to save lives and so on and so forth. That's very clear, obvious. I've worked at other businesses where they work in healthcare, which is very much a you know mission-driven kind of approach. And then I've also worked in other organizations that are dealing with things like cost containment and you know, kind of fee structures over telco. And that's a little less purpose-driven. And then you have to kind of look at how you're going to weight that autonomy mastery elements uh, in, in those environments to give people a reason to kind of want to be a part of that. Uh, I think that that's just, those Those are those are things that I think are important. And then if I think about it, kind of the, the other aspect of it is that I believe that if we engender kind of a you know, a restless ingenuity inside the organization, having people be able to kind of go after why not, as opposed to why are they doing something, uh, I think is important. I think if you think about the, uh, you know, notion around, you know, kind of agile techniques at large scale delivery and so on, you can look at things, how fast things get to market, how, what the collective speed of an organization is. So if people are working in an environment where they're seeing their work go from inception to operations, on an ongoing basis, it's usually more exciting than, say, working on a project for years and years and years and years to see people come and go without ever seeing it get to be real. Uh, and then the other item what I always kind of look at is uh, make sure that people are radical in their collaboration. Like, how do they actually, you know, build cross-functional diverse teams to be able to be part of that usually are going to come up with better ideas than if it was just you know, three engineers in a room kind of doing their thing. And then I think the last area is just, you know, again, that autonomy aspect, that agency to be able to make decisions about their work uh, that are aligned to an overall strategy, obviously. But, uh, you know, you're not just going to let a thousand flowers bloom, but you're going to definitely be able to go and say, okay, this is today we're, today we're growing tulips, you know, you might be, uh, <laughs> you're not going to be out there doing whatever you want, but we're going to definitely have a plan and we're going to do that. And uh, I think that's been a technique for being able to overcome, you know, not only operating budgets that are uh, that are that are baseline, but then when they're also constraining, so you need to make decisions. I think those are where, when people are, uh, you know, going through either reduction of force or you're changing the skill sets of the organization, uh, being honest and open with folks is important. 
Um, so I'm curious to know, you've talked you talked a lot about the ways in which you guys have motivated or the companies that you've worked at have motivated people. I'm really curious, and you know we're unfiltered here and we kind of like to to be a little bit um a little test boundaries, I guess, but are there any unconventional ways in which you've motivated your team? Uh well, I mean, I think that when we think about, you know, there's obviously you know, financial motivations, you can give people bonuses for achievement of, uh, of activities and so on and so forth. But I think that, uh, when, and when I look at the parts of the organization that I typically deal with are down to about the director. And if you tell a director that you have complete autonomy to staff your teams, however you want, I'm going to measure you on the outcome of the work that you're going to deliver. They are, that's a pretty radical difference from I'm going to give you a prescription about how you're going to do and I think that while that might not be kind of a, you know, blow up and, you know, send everybody to Hawaii when they deliver, right. it might be, it's, it's very much a difference of being able to go and say, Hey, you know what? I, I've trusted you or are we as an organization trust you with the ability to make decisions about where you staff, who you staff, whether you work with an agency, whether you work with a front, uh, FTEs, do you need to bring in new people? Can you bring people in fast enough to be able to deliver on what the expected outcomes for the strategy are. Because in some cases, in the last three years, the talent war was so hot that there was a, we would have to overcome, we could put out a rec with a great salary, great benefits associated with it and everything like that. And we would be competing with everybody else that was doing the exact same thing. Right. And, you know, being a progressive organization when it comes to like, whether it be kind of work-life balance or work palm or any of those kind of things that are pre-COVID, um, you know, those were just kind of table stakes at that. So that was always something that kind of came. And, um, you know, again, teams stay with teams. They don't, I mean, people don't leave organizations. They leave their managers. That's, that's something that was. It's very true. Very true. So I feel like when you were just talking, I have like four articles to write. <laughs> just based okay. on that. <laughs> well, I mean, like you hit all of like the buzzwords and like just what everyone's talking about right now, yeah. which is, you know, um, they have to have buy-in, upskilling, purpose uh what i've never heard of though is restless ingenuity i am like more intrigued on that um and then also pretty happy about moving fast so uh, i have forever moved fast and sometimes i'm criticized for it which is fine uh, but i like how you flipped it because i never thought to like oh wait you guys get to see something from scratch and now you get to see it on light i never thought about how gratifying that is like i mean like i as an individual feel like that but as a team, empowering them, like, look, you guys get to do like this. How cool is that? Now you get to see it. Now we get to go fix it because <laughs> we I did it too quickly, you know? Well, well, I think that that, uh, that bias for speed gives people the ability to kind of iterate over the decisions that they've made. And when they could see it in production, nothing is more demoralizing for an engineering team or cross-functional product team to be able to see a product just kind of spin before that ever gets out to a customer and then if it takes forever when it gets to a customer the customer might want something different and if you're able to iterate and be in a continuous beta at all times you're in a scenario where you are uh you're able to kind of make changes based on the 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 contact with the with the customer and i think that's the the really important thing uh you know you hear about a lot of organizations that are customer centric customer driven customer obsessed whatever you want to say it um if a customer is not seeing the new product, then they don't care. They're 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 quickly not becoming, unbecoming, if you will. So yeah, 
Go ahead. The restless ingenuity thing, I think, is is really around uh, just that notion of really kind of testing why not do something. You know, so for example, I in you know one of the previous organizations, I had an executive come to me and he was like, "We need to move from a hardware-based solution to a software-based solution," and and quite a bit of the uh, legacy organization just hated the idea. They were just they didn't have anything, and we were like, "Well." Just do it. Don't tell anybody. Get it to the point where it's at an MVP or minimum viable product. Show it to folks. And then all of a sudden they see the art possible. And then it was like the, the, the switching point happened. You know, they were able to take a completely different direction on how they approach their solution. And I think that was really largely because that team and that leader were able to come to me and say, hey, I know we could do this. And I know we could do this better than any kind of way that it's going. And we did it. That was kind of fun. Nice. So um, my questions are more about Thomas. So if you want to talk about the subject today, I, I want to get to know him a little bit. So I have some questions for him. Yeah. So do you have another question? Okay. I mean, I, I, I can pause. I'm writing my shit down. You're good. Yeah. Well, we're I'm tangenting. So um, curious to know, you mentioned at the beginning of the call that you've held several different roles. Um, I'm just curious to know which of those roles is your has been your favorite and why? So typically, uh, my favorite's always been the chief technology officer role. So when I'm working with a, uh, you know, the counterpart to a chief technology officer is typically the chief product officer. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to get a really solid partnership between those two roles, the product development lifecycle ends up being kind of the thing that drives the revenue of business. So you obviously, the chief revenue officer, chief revenue officer's primary contact point is the chief product officer okay. and chief technology officer kind of sits between product and operations. So do you see that kind of those relationships are something that's really exciting? Um, I've been a chief information officer and there's a lot of like, how do the business systems run and so on and so forth. I think that's a little less fun and, and, and sexy, but I think that it still has to happen. Yeah. Uh, but when I have, when I have the opportunity to wear both hats, that's, that's something that's exciting. I always kind of think of it as that I'm a, a, a an executive who happens to have a quiver full of technology. And I think that's how I've looked at my role. That's how the, kind of the digital officer kind of has become more kind of the common or more common in many enterprises uh, at this point. Uh, and I also think that um, I've really enjoyed the transformation aspects of being the, you know, head of core engineering. I've done that as well. Um, I've been the uh, chief architect in an organization. But I think that uh, when you're in a transformative role, Sometimes you're the crash test dummy and sometimes you're the wall, you know? Uh, so, you know, you just got to keep getting up every day and getting back in there. And I think that when you're working with teams that are on that journey, if they see that there's proactive and uh, authentic leadership at the top, then they're willing to, you know, follow you through that wall. Absolutely. I think that's an important Yeah. So that how do you keep that culture strong when time is limited? Like you got to move fast. Financials are like crumbling down and you have to like, you're again, going back to the subject of keeping them motivated. But like, I think that there's that fine line between like us, like woohoo as a team and then us put your heads down. We got to get to work. How do you, how do you walk that? So, uh, so the way I've always kind of looked at it is uh, measure outcomes over output. So it's not so much like what you've done today. It's like, are we really driving a change in the organization? The out, the output that you're measuring is usually very tactical in orientation. Like you could see a 
you know, a, a burn down chart of, yes, I'm finishing the work at hand, but is it actually giving you I think one of the things in my career that I've had that was probably, uh, you know, you usually learn more from the things that don't go well than the things that do. Uh, you know, I, I had a large program that I was working on and, uh, and, and my boss's chief of staff came to me and he was like, look, we need to reset. It looks good on the outputs, but the outcomes aren't really there. And we had to like reset a major multi-year initiative, you know, about a year in and the, you have to, you know, you got to swallow your pride and be like, Hey, my plan needs to get reset. I, the assumptions made at the beginning are going to take us to where we need to be. And then, but being a part of a team that can have that mature conversation gives you the ability to kind of motivate people and say, Hey, okay, look, uh, you know, we, we were doing a really good job cutting down this forest, but somebody figured out it was the wrong forest, you know? So I think that's an important aspect. So I feel like that happens a lot. Well, this yeah. happened to me this last year. <laughs> Got down the wrong goddamn forest. <laughs> At least you're honest. You own yeah. it. <laughs> okay, so from your experience leading teams, um, what what do you feel, and it, I, truly not out there in the world, not what we're reading online or what we're reading in the news, but from your experience, what do you feel like demotivates or burns employees out the quickest? With things moving as fast as they do, like Brianna said, the financial crumble. What do you feel personally from teams you've managed? Um, well, teams can sense bullshit really far out. So if the leadership team isn't clear on what the strategy is, uh, it it vibrates all the way down the and I'm and it and it's and it's far and wide. And when it doesn't, uh, so when I think that if there is a uh, if there's turbulence in the strategy, I think that there is a feeling that people can sense it really quickly. And then you start to see kind of leadership turnover and then you start to see uh, directors turnover and staff turnover. And as soon as you start to see that kind of tipping point from key folks in the organization, and I'm not just talking about leadership, just key folks that are Nexus employees where a lot of people have trusted them, they have a lot of relationships and they're kind of like, you know, gotta go, gotta go do something else. Uh, that sends a signal across the organization that's much more deadly than, you know, uh, you know, the, the other side of it, where you're like, you know, hey, we have a strategy, we have outcome. You could reset the outcomes that you need to drive if you're very clear in communication. I've always believed in over-communicating my staff. Everybody here, everybody in my organizations is already, A, an adult, two, a profession, <laughs> and three, understands how businesses work when they're operating inside. So I'm going to treat them as, professional business people who are adults and I can give them information even if it's bad or I mean nobody you know bad news isn't like milk it gets worse with age you know so I mean it's like you know as you kind of sit there and you say to yourself you're like uh would you rather know the reality and know that there's a plan to get to 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 write the organization whether you're in a financial crumble I think that honestly I don't think that the what we're hearing in the tech industry with the layoffs and so on and so forth, right? Honestly, is a blip when you think about it compared to what they hired during COVID. So in the last three years, they hired 740,000 jobs and then they eliminated 100,000 of those. You still have a 6x growth over the, over the amount of people that have been introduced to the So I don't think that it's necessarily like a, if you think from a stock price standpoint, so on and so forth. The street has been treating these companies well is because what they're seeing is that the efficiency happening and then when the people go away either those projects have gone away or nobody noticed so i think that it was ultimately an efficiency play that needed to happen 
And I think that's one of those things about operating in a financially constrained environment is that, um, you know, it's great leaders are measured better in the hard times than they are in the good times. It's easy to have everything going well. Right. It's hard to have it go poorly, you know, and I think that, I think, you know, the two of you working together, some of the folks that you brought into your, your podcast previously, uh, I would imagine every one of those folks has a network, a short list of people that they would want to work with and solve a problem with any problem, any industry, any kind of, you know, skill set, because they know that, you know, whether they're not only they're capable, but they're also trusted, you know? Right. So I've got folks that I've worked with for 25 years and I, and, and they are, there's a shorthand when you work with them that you don't have to go and say, Oh, do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. I, I love the more, you know, someone, the less context you have to give. So it's like when you yeah. bring in new people. So, um, I mean, it's been no secret. Like I have technically a, a junior to me team. They're not, they're all very senior, super capable, awesome. But to me, like we didn't know each other very well. So there was like that, Oh yeah. Context communication. <laughs> Duh. Um, but it is really nice. Like Taylor and I now at this point, it's like, you know, we, we've, we've got all our nasties out. And so it's like, we understand, we understand each other and where we're coming from. And again, like, I think we can look and be like, Hey, we're moving that needle this way. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. Okay. Wait, let's move it that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. You know? Um, but it does take time. And I think that it is rare too. When I think about how many, like on top of my head, I'd be like, yeah, I'd work with them and go, go through fire on and any, if, whenever they said, uh, so oh. Leaders in particular, I mean, I can, I can, I have folks that could call me up tomorrow and, uh, I would be like, Hey, what do you, what do we want to do? You know? Yeah. And they're like, and then, and, and Taylor to your earlier question, well, I think one of the things that's important about that is that when you have those deeper relationships, it's not, are you a CTO? Are you a chief product officer or anything like that? It's like, well, what do you need? What do you need done? Yes. And, it, mm -hmm. and then we'll fit, we'll fit to, we'll, you know, We'll grow to the fishbowl that needs to be done, and then we'll we'll staff around it. And most folks are multi-talented. I haven't met too many one-note uh, kind of professionals. If they are, I mean that's that's fine as well. Just like, like you. Usually, those ones for individual contributors. <laughs> so, yeah. so I've I've met some of those, um, but I also have the people that just like you mentioned, I call them the people that I would keep in my foxhole. Like they're my people that I would just call on for anything that can do anything. Like you said, multi-talented individuals. Yeah. So, so, go ahead. So I, I have a question because I, I had to write this down. Thomas, how do you interview if someone's an adult or not? Because I have definitely ran into some not adults lately. <laughs> and it's honestly uh, like, I, it's silly, but it's true. Well, one of the smells that I look for in any kind of uh, resume that I look for is people with lots of uh, two-year uh, engagements, two-year stints at companies. Cause that's usually enough time to fuck it up and then have the, have the wave of crap kind of come back on them. And then they leave right around that time. Uh, so I usually look for people that can stick it out for at least three to four years. Cause that's where the cycle of a, uh, strategy is actually planned, executed and realized, uh, in that life cycle. Um, but I, if I see a lot of two year, uh, stints inside of an organization, you've got different roles inside. But if you're like skipping around, like, you know, islands in a stream if you will then that's a problem you know because that i look at and i go and say you know you probably are only there long enough to like realize that your decision was bad and you're on to the next thing and um so whether that's uh, you know the adults in the room is the other thing is that um uh people want to work with them 
there are usually, you know, like there's a lot of folks out there that are like, yeah, I'll give you my references only uh, when we're at the end of the process. Usually people are like, yeah, you can talk to anybody. No problem. Yeah. Those are the adults. That's like, um, I've never heard anybody say like the two-year timeline they measure. That's just enough time to fuck it up. Like I've never, I love it, but I've never heard that. So then what are your thoughts on, you know, as far as like 2023 hiring trends of kind of what we're, what we are already seeing? It's a fact. Um, is contract workforce kind of being the theme at all levels, including at executive level. So what are your thoughts on that, given how you feel about seeing that on someone's resume? If you see somebody has a bunch of contract work, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I I, I consider contract work a little bit differently because okay. people are making decisions around their own flexibility at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether you're looking at agency work, contract work, consulting work, and so on and so forth, those are kind of different dimensions that kind of the goals around the FTE. So, I mean, if I think about it from my perspective, uh, contractors give you the ability to ebb and flow your organizational footprint, but not necessarily incurring a lot of FTE. So I think that those, you know, Silicon Valley in particular has done in the past, they treat it almost like a gray labor force. And I think that that's actually a mistreatment because I think that people start to become much more mercenary. Um, I've found that when we work with contractors, you have to treat them as though they're part of the team. Yes, from an HR perspective, a legal perspective, there are certain meetings that they shouldn't be in. But the thing is, the reality is that if they feel like they are other in the organization, then they are, they're just there until they get their next hour. Uh, and then they're going to move on. Um, so I think that the reality is that, uh, it is a tool. I don't measure the folks that do contract work the same way I measure, measure FTEs, uh, usually for, um, for, you know, director and above positions. Usually those are full hires. Um, you know, I do know when you, when you bring in a, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, Mr. Wolf, if you will, or Mrs. Wolf, if you will, uh, to kind of do a job and do it in an organization. And, and then that's, that's a good contractor as well. So. Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, especially if you really need to shake things up, sir. So. I like it. I like it. Well, it looks like we're right at time. That God, that went by so quick. Um, but go ahead and hit him with your broke to boss tip. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I thought about this before coming in and I was like, you know, um, I think that folks need to manage themselves from some kind of framework of values. So they, if they know what's important to them, they can make good decisions about what they're going to do in the organizations that they work with. You know, if they're starving and they need to get to work, they're going to make some decisions that might not align with their values. They're going to go and they're going to go quick. However, if you can step back a little bit and make sure that you're working with people or in an organization that you want to and it's aligned to your values, then uh, then I think that's the best bet. And, uh, you know, don't second guess that because the thing is, is that most of the people I know have, um, you know, make a lot of money, don't align with values, they're unhappy, their work-life balance is messed up, you know, they're, they're kind of, that notion of self-care is all jacked up, you know, I think that those are, those are things that are important. So, I mean, whenever I get into any kind of mentoring session with anybody, the first thing I do is I'm like, what are your values? You don't have to tell me your values, but you have to know your values. I like that. You have to know your values. That could be, to paraphrase, that could be a good one. Yeah. Well, this yeah. was awesome. Love this. I've got lots of notes on this one. Like, yeah. Again, I'm coming hard with some articles, so I'm going to send it to you, Thomas. 
No worries, no worries. And if you guys want to chat again, I mean, uh, I, I, we can we can riff on a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I, I love that too because I, I was it was hard for me not to go into the Bay Area stuff with you because like I was definitely told you know you don't get contractors like always like forever you know and so and but then COVID switched it all up and then even now so it's it's even getting um all kind of odd you know so yeah. it, it's hard it's hard to know uh, and I think that's like a whole hiring manager conversation which I feel like we should bring you back on because that's an interesting perspective it is yeah yeah we should, we we could uh, we could definitely do that. So. <laughs> nice awesome well thank you all so much for listening remember we are here for you all so the reviews do help make us come in happy people <laughs> we'll see you next tuesday thanks y'all thanks y'all thank you